to One Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. And for more information, please visit us on the web at onechurch.net. and turn with me to the book of Acts. Come on. The book of Acts, uh, chapter 1. And I'm going to read some verses there in just a minute. Uh, But if you're a a guest here today just joining us uh, for the first time, we're a church that is passionate about following Jesus. In fact, our uh, really our vision for the year is all about following Jesus like never before. Not just being a believer but actually being a follower, not just giving lip service, but, but orienting our lives around following the way of Jesus, or as we like to say, living the Jesus life together. And here's kind of the vision that is stirring in our hearts. What would it look like for a community of people to just go all in for Jesus? What would it look like if a group of people said, we're not just going to be kind of passive in our following of Jesus. Uh, Life's too short to be passive. Life's too short to kind of be 50% in, 50% out, lukewarm. Uh, It's all or nothing. And so I really uh, am excited about this vision of the Jesus life uh, together. And uh, so our teaching throughout the year is really all going to tie back to that thought of the Jesus life together. And there's some things that are stirring in my heart uh, that I really feel like are from God that, that I'm excited to be able to share with you some teachings. Uh, one thing that we want to talk about throughout the year, we're going to talk about emotional health. And, uh, you know, Jesus said this, that we are to love God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mind. In other words, Jesus doesn't just care about our eternal life. He cares about our emotional life. And so we're going to explore what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus and, and, and emotionally healthy uh, in that. We're also uh, going to be sharing with you a series that um, is about experiencing the blessing of God in our lives. And, you know, part of what Jesus came to do was not just to forgive us of our sin, but he also came, the Bible says, to break the curse of sin. Not just to bring us from, from sin into forgiveness, but to bring us from cursed to blessed. Amen? Anybody want God's blessing in your life? Yeah, I, I like, more, like my finances, my family, my health, everything in my life, just bless it. That's my prayer. And so we're going to be talking about how do we experience uh, the blessing of God. Another thing that we're going to be talking about is how do, we, um, how do we receive God's power for God's purpose? Or, or, or the power that God has for us in order to accomplish the purpose that God has for us. Uh, the Bible uses the term anointing. Anybody ever heard that term before, anointing? And uh, that term is just, uh, it means God's power for God's purpose. And uh, in fact, Jesus' first line, opening line of his ministry is, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. And so it is crucial for every one of us. The Bible says that, that every one of us have an anointing. There's not like a few people that it's like, well, these are the anointed people and these are the non-anointed people. The Bible says every one of us has an anointing. And so I believe one of the greatest things that you can do in your life is discover and release the anointing that God has put within you in order to fulfill the purpose he has for you. And so we're going to be talking about what that looks like. Uh, But today we're continuing a series that is kind of Uh, directing us in the season that we're in, and we're talking about church on mission. 
church on mission. In other words, what does it look like to live not just self-centered or for ourselves, but what does it look like to, to live sent, to live for a purpose beyond ourselves? And there is no greater purpose on the earth. There's no greater mission or movement on the earth than the Jesus movement. And so we are looking at what does it mean to join God's mission, join God's movement in our time, in our city. And uh, last week I talked to you about uh, uh, telling God's story and uh, that, that God's purpose for us is not just so that we would go to heaven when we die, but that we would experience heaven on earth. He is, he's wanting us. Uh, a lot of people, you know, they, they think their salvation is just a an eternal life insurance policy, and I'm so glad to tell you that as soon as you put your faith in Jesus, regardless of what your past has been, that your future is secured. That could be in your dying breath. You have zero good works that you've, uh, you know, banked up on that. It could just be in your last moment. I love that story of the thief on the cross. His dying breath, he, he uh, breathes out, save me, and Jesus saves him, says, today you'll be with me in paradise. That's a beautiful hope, beautiful encouragement, but the fact is that uh, for most of us, that's beautiful, but it's often not relevant because we are not trying to die, we are trying to live, right? And so God's purpose for our lives is a lot more than us going to heaven when we die. His purpose is that in our lives and through our lives, that his kingdom would come on the earth. The, the beginning of the Bible and the end of the Bible does not start with us being whisked away to heaven. It, it begins and ends with God coming to the earth. And so we really believe that's the, the, the greatest news that's ever been told, and specifically in the person of Jesus, that when Jesus came to the world, that that changes everything, okay? And uh, so I want to read this passage of Scripture today in Acts chapter 1, verse 4. Acts chapter 1, verse 4. If you don't have your Bible, we'll put it on the screen behind me. I think we'll put it on the screen behind me. Acts chapter 1, verse 4. And it says this, Being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. He's talking about this distinct experience of, of not just being saved, not just going to heaven when we die, but of heaven being released into our lives through the Holy Spirit coming upon us. And he says, John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, listen to this, it is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power. Everybody say power. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses or, or you shall share the good news of me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for your word. We thank you, God, that this is not just my words. It's not just good ideas. But Father, we thank you that it is the eternal uh, word of God. And we pray now that you would help us to have ears that are open hearts that are receptive, and minds that are attentive to receive from you today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I love the Bible. 
Uh, I don't know about you, but I love the Bible, um, and, and the Bible is, is really an amazing, uh, it's an amazing story, and not just a story, but it's the words of God. We believe that all of the Bible uh, is God's Word. It's all wonderful, uh, but there are some passages, there are some verses, there are some portions in the Bible that are more significant than others. Um, you know, sometimes we play Bible roulette. We just like, you know, go, where should I read today? We like come up with some random thing and it doesn't really make any sense. Um, well, that, that is, can be a good way to read, but it, it's a lot more helpful when we understand the theme and the story of the Bible. And just like any story, there are certain scenes, there are certain moments that affect the whole course of the, the story. You know what I'm saying? Like a movie that it's like, if you, you go to the bathroom in that scene, you miss the whole plot. You know what I'm saying? You, you don't know what's happening in the rest of the story. Well, this is one of those scenes in the Bible. This is, uh, I believe there is perhaps no more important uh, verse or passage in the Bible for us to understand than this passage that we just read because it is a transition uh, in the story. It's a transition as Jesus has come to the earth. He has lived uh, a life for 30 years on the earth, 33 years on the earth. He's died uh, on the cross. He was, he was uh, murdered on the cross, but that's not the end of the story. Of course, he rises from the dead, and here we have Jesus as he's seen by over 500 people, and this is the final moment and a transition into perhaps we could say a new scene in the story. Story as Jesus is preparing to leave the earth and, and pass along his mission onto his followers. And uh, he, he says this, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And these words, I want you to know that there has probably been no words and no moment that has changed the whole course of human history any more than these words right here. This was the the the, the shot heard around the world. This was the spark that ignited the fire. This was the, this was the, uh, the, the shifting beneath the surface of the plates that, that created a movement that echoed around the world. These words change everything. And, and the fact is that even if you're not a follower of Jesus, you can't help but acknowledge the impact that Jesus has had on human history. There is no, even, it's take spiritual reality out of the picture. Just look at it from a historical and sociological perspective. There has been no greater in, uh, influence on the world, no greater movement on planet earth than the Jesus movement, right? I mean, have you, like, let's just think about it for a moment. Like, it is 2019, we actually set our calendar off of the date that Jesus came to the earth. I mean, it changes everything. It changes everything. And at the resurrection of Jesus, it wasn't just a nice historical moment. It was the kingdom of God crashing into earth. If Jesus rose from the dead, anything is possible. Healing is possible. Provision is possible. Miracles are possible. Paul says it this way, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then our faith is in vain. So there's something that's happened in this moment that has now trans transformed the whole history of the world. If you don't believe me, I want to read you a couple of quotes from 
People that actually would not even call themselves believers. First, a quote from a guy named Alexis de Tocqueville. Did I say that all right, Coralie de Tocqueville? He was a French diplomat. I want us to put it up on the screen. He was a French diplomat in the 1800s, and he was sent from France to America in the mid-1800s as America was this, this flourishing, burgeoning uh, society, this young nation, but ultimately a nation that was already influencing the world. And he was sent from France to explore what was the secret sauce of the United States. What was the secret of America? Listen to what he said. He said, I sought for the key to the greatness and the genius of America in her harbors, in her fertile, in her fertile fields, her boundless forests, her rich mines, and her vast commerce, uh, vast world commerce, in her public school system and her institutions of learning. I sought for it in her democratic congress and in her matchless constitution. Listen to this. Not until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits flame with righteousness did I understand the secret of her genius and power. He's saying this, in the 1850s, not an American and not a believer as far as we know, he's saying the secret of American greatness is not a political system, it's not an education system, it's the power in the pulpit. It's the power of the good news of the gospel that changes people's hearts. What an amazing, amazing statement. Listen to this from Matthew Paris. Matthew is a, this is a more current statement. Matthew is a, a, a British politician and journalist and, and a self-proclaimed atheist. And he said this recently in a British newspaper about his uh, travels to Africa on a humanitarian mission. And he said this, traveling to Malawi refreshed a belief I've been trying to banish all my life, but an observation I've been unable to avoid since my African childhood. It confounds my ideological beliefs, stubbornly refuses to fit in my worldview, and has embarrassed my growing belief that there is no God. Now a confirmed atheist, I've become convinced of the enormous contribution that Christian evangelism makes in Africa. Sharply distinctive from the work of secular NGOs or nonprofits, government projects, and international aid efforts, these alone will not do. Education and training alone will not do. In Africa, Christianity changes people's hearts. It brings a spiritual transformation. The rebirth is real. The change is good. It sounds like Mr. Perry's atheism may be coming apart at the seams. Why? Because he is seeing the transformation that the gospel brings. He's seeing the the radical uh, renewal that happens first in the hearts of people and then in the culture as a whole that, that is unleashed on the world when the good news of Jesus is proclaimed that He is not dead, He is risen. That changes everything. That changes everything. And here this man who calls himself an atheist can't help but acknowledge the impact and the influence of this story of God, this good news of Jesus, is making on the continent of Africa. It's the power 
of God, Paul says, unto salvation. And here in this passage, we see this spark unleashed that still 2,000 years later and thousands of miles away, today we are still gathered around that flame, that, that power of the Holy Spirit here today, all around the world. People are gathered together celebrating the good news of Jesus Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit. But there's something in this passage that oftentimes I think that we miss, even as we love the power of the Holy Spirit, even as we love the work of the Holy Spirit, even as we, we long for that work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in our community, there's something that we often miss, and, and it is this, that God's work does not happen in a vacuum. God's work happens in a time and a place. Did you notice what the disciples said to Jesus? Jesus, is it the time? Is now the time that you are going to, to bring the kingdom to Israel? In other words, they were saying, uh, Jesus, or he goes on to say, it's not for you to know the time or the seasons. Those are two distinct words. Time is, in the original language, it's the word chronos. That's the, the kind of time that you have on your watch. And then seasons is kairos. Kairos is not just human time, it is divine time. It is the, the moment when God's time breaks out on the earth. And, and he says, it's not for you to know. In other words, he's saying, I'm not going to give you the, the schedule or the calendar of what I'm going to do. Anybody here, you're a planner? Yes? I'll just say this, thank, thank the Lord for planners. It's a wonderful, a wonderful thing. But, but for many of us, we always want to know the plan. That's what they were doing. Give me the plan. Give me the schedule. I just want to know. And, and Jesus says, I'm not going to give you a plan. I'm going to give you a person. In other words, I don't want you just following the, the schedule, but I want you to follow the Spirit. Now, it wasn't that he did not want us to understand the times or the seasons. The Bible actually tells us that those who have ears to hear should hear what the Spirit says to the church. In the Old Testament, there was a, a group that was called the Sons of Issachar, and the Bible commended those men because their gifting was that they had an understanding of the times and seasons and knew what Israel should do. And so God is not wanting, us to, not wanting to keep us in the dark on what His purpose and what His plan is, but He's wanting us to listen to the Holy Spirit, to listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying. And so there is a, a time, and then it goes on to say, you'll be witnesses of me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. To the ends of the earth. If we put that in our language today, that would be like our, our city, our our. our region and our state. It'd be like saying, you'll be witnesses, you'll, you'll talk about me, you'll spread the good news about me in Orlando, in central Florida, and, and in the state of Florida, and beyond, right? And so here's what I want you to understand is that God, again, doesn't work in a vacuum. He works in a time and a place, or we could say it this way, God's mission is worked out in a culture. It's worked out in a culture, and that is 
so important for us to understand because if we are going to discern what God is doing now, it's important for us to, to both be listening to the, the, the wind of the Holy Spirit and listening to the promptings of the Holy Spirit, but it's also important for us to be culturally aware of the moment that we live in. You see, God is doing, he, He's doing the same thing throughout history, but just like a movie has different scenes, God's mission is played out differently in different places at different times. And so if we are going to join God in His mission, it's important for us to understand, God, what are you doing here and now? Like, I love what God did. I love reading stories of what God has done throughout history. But the reality is, God's not going to work through me the same way that He worked through Jonathan Edwards or George Whitfield or John Wesley or... or Name your favorite Jesus man or woman, right? He's not going to work through me in that same way. Why? Because I live in a different place at a different time, right? And so we have to be in tune with what is happening now. I don't know if you realize this, but the right thing at the wrong time is the wrong thing, Right? Anybody, you were in band or chorus in school? Any of you? Come on, this is, this is a judgment-free zone. You're welcome here, okay? Band or chorus in school? I was in both. And um, I quit before marching band. I did have some dignity, but... Uh, <laughs> no, that, I, that actually would, would have been really cool. But here's what I realized is it's not just about doing the right thing. It's got to be the right thing at the right time right? Like saxophonist, if there's a moment where you're supposed to like do your thing, if you do your thing at another moment, it can be the right thing but the wrong time, right? And the same is true spiritually that God wants us to understand the time and the place that we live in so that we can cooperate with what He's doing. And so I want to give you, uh, I'll tell you this, the next few minutes may feel a little more like a it may be a little less personal and a little more cultural, okay? But I want us to understand. I think it's important. Uh, the send is all about we're believing God. There's a shift in the atmosphere, a shift in the, you know, in the moment of what God's doing, which begs the question, what is God doing, okay? And so I want us to look a little bit at history. Who likes history? Madeline, thank you. You always encourage me when I ask that question. History teacher. Or, yeah. Yeah. Um, so we're going to look at a little bit of history, and so I want to actually rewind back to uh, the 1950s for just a moment, and uh, I know we can go much further back than that, but I just want to look at like recent history, um, and that would probably cover the lifespan of people in this room, at least their adult lifespan. So I want to look at the 1950s and just kind of show you, in fact, we'll put a, a little image on the screen. That's my artwork. It's one step up from hand-drawn, okay? But this is, this is a, a picture of kind of what it was like to share the gospel in the 1950s. The 1950s was a time period that America, coming out of World War II, there was a great hunger for God. There had been a great dependence on God throughout World War II. And so there was a, a basic Christian ethos that pervaded the United States at that time. And so we had a lot of great things on our, uh, on our side that we could work out of. The first thing, Christianity was just popular. 
Like if you were American at that time, it basically meant you were Christian. Whether that is a good thing or not uh, is to be debated. But it was popular. Uh, People were inquisitive. If people had a question about life, church was the place that they went at that time. That was the world that we lived in. There was a great respect for the church. You know, there was, there used to be a way of thinking that was like, you know, uh, there's, you know, doctors, lawyers, um, pastors were kind of in that echelon. That was like a viable vocation ministry. The time has changed. Okay, folks, I'm sorry to say the time has changed. But there was this great respect for the church. It was thought of as relevant. People assumed it to be true because there was this cultural framework that people were working out of. And so evangelism, and I know that I may be geeking out on you for a few minutes, but just stay with me because I think this is important. Evangelism was fairly easy. Evangelism, you didn't have to kind of change worldview. All that evangelism really required is what I would call a convictional moment. Like, if people were not serving God, they, they knew that they should be, right? Like their mom was praying for them or there was something. And so all you had to do is kind of bring this, you know, convictional moment. Like if you were to die today, where would you go, right? And, and so there was, that was the, the moment that we were in. And so there was ministries that sprung up out of that, things like Billy Graham's Crusades, uh, things like four spiritual laws, if you're unfamiliar with that, it's just a very uh, simple four-step um, you know, journey to walk people through to the place of faith. It's basically God loves you, has a purpose for your life, you're a sinner, you need God. It's just very simple. And so it was, you just kind of brought people to that moment of conviction, and that's all it took. It was very easy to share the gospel with people. And uh, that was very pervasive through the 1950s and 60s. Maybe some of you have heard about maybe like tent revivals and things like that. So the way that they would share the gospel is they just like bring in a tent into town. They'd set up the tent and say, we're going to be talking about Jesus. And people would just like come in droves because like that's what there was in town, right? That, like that, the church, the, the, the community was... was orbiting around the church. And so that was like the entertainment. It was just very easy at that time. But as we know, the culture has changed. And so in the 60s, uh, late 60s and 70s, there began to be a cultural revolution that really came out of the Enlightenment. And it brought in fully the modern era. And so in the 80s, 90s, 2000s, we had a change in our culture. Uh, Although Christianity was still popular. Most people would say that they were followers of Jesus or at least nominal Christians. If people had a question, they would still go to the church. People were inquisitive. There was still, by and large, a sense of respect for the church. But the problem was is that as the modern era took root in people's minds, the the question was was now about reliability and, and relevance, or about reason and relevance. And so there were, people were beginning to think more scientifically, and so there were questions of, is the, the Bible true? Is the Bible reliable? Is there historical evidence? Is there things that, that validate the faith that we have? And so there was the emergence of, uh, of ministries uh, like, uh, the, or a, a books perhaps you've heard of, like The Case for Faith, who's ever read that book? 
How about Case for Christ? Anybody ever heard of Ravi Zacharias? Awesome, awesome, awesome things that were ministries birthed for the moment. They were communicating the, the reason behind our faith, that faith is not, you know, uh, contrary to your intellect. It does supersede just what we see, but it was all about providing reason and then also relevance, relevance. So people were, were now asking, does this me- message, what does it have to do with my life? And so church began to address much more of, uh, I told you this was a history lesson, church began to uh, address much more of practical things, right? So teaching more on like five steps to have a good marriage, uh, three ways to, you know, have a great career, and there was the, the emergence of the seeker-sensitive movement, right? There, that was all about making it easy for people to come to church. And so we got LED lights, we got smoke machines, we started singing U2 and worship songs, you know. And why? Because it was all about just trying to overcome these barriers of church is not boring, it can be exciting, and church is not irrelevant, and the gospel is not untrue. Now, those things are wonderful. They are so good, so true, and they were so perfect for the moment. That was kind of the 1980s. Is this ringing true with people from your experience, right? Now, let's fast forward to 2019. Can you believe it's almost been 20 years since 2000? And um, 2019, here we are. And I don't know if you have felt the the change in culture over the last just 10, 15 years. Anybody know what I'm talking about? The atmosphere that we are living in has changed from that moment to where we are now. And this is actually a, a better picture of where we stand today. And I know it may look very uh, dim for just a, a moment, or it may look like not good news for just a moment, but, but here's, here's where we're at. There is oftentimes a distrust for the church. There's a, a distrust for the gospel. People uh, want options. The, the church is no longer the place where people go if they have questions about spirituality. Now they go to their yoga teacher, right, or the mindfulness um, book or something, and I'm not knocking those things, uh, or at least the good things in that. I'm just saying this is the world that we live in. Uh, the church is now uh, often rejected, put out on the outskirts of society, disrespected. People think of it as irrelevant. Uh, now it's no longer about what is the story of God and what is the, the purpose for my life uh, in God's story. Now it's all about looking inwardly, right? So basically, uh, the, the mantra of our age in this era, as we have moved beyond the Christian era and beyond the modern era, we are now post-Christian, post-modern, and, and the mantra of this age is, you do you, right? It's DIY spirituality. I'll take a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of this, and I'll put it together because ultimately it's all about me, and I decide what is true. Is anybody else living in the world that I live in? This, yes, okay. So here, here's where we're at. In the, in the modern era, it was all about a convictional moment. Or I'm sorry, in, the, in, the Christ, in that Christian ethos, it was all about a convictional moment. In the modern ethos, it was about reason and relevance. But now those things are no longer enough to share the gospel effectively in the age 
that we live in. Don Everts, in his book, I Was Lost, talks about five thresholds now that we have to cross in bringing people to faith. Now, I know God can just, some of you are like, God can do it. We're just like, he'll put you over and all of that. Yes, I understand that. But how many of you know God uses people? And God works in the world that we live in, right? Like, it, 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 like I can go to China and speak English and tell somebody about Jesus, but they're probably not going to get it right, if they don't speak English, right? So God uses the way that, that He works, in, not in a vacuum, He works in a culture and in a time. And so it's important for us to understand what God's, uh, or the culture that we live in so that we can cooperate with what God is doing in our day. And so Don Everts talks about these, these five thresholds, and I believe they ring true uh, for, for many of us here in sharing the good news of Jesus with people, things that we have to bring people through. One is trusting a Christian. We just, that, that's the first step is just to see that followers of Jesus are not the problem, right? I mean, again, it used to be when you said you were a pastor, it was like, you know, well, people get kind of religious. Well, God bless you, preacher. You know, now it's like, it's like saying, you were Charles Manson's mentor. When I tell people that, I know that's a bad analogy, but I'm just saying people don't trust Christians. Then we, so we have to bring them to a place of trusting Christians. We also have to help them to become curious. We have to stir a spiritual hunger beyond just here and now. And of course, the Holy Spirit is working with us. But then we also have to bring people to an openness to change. An openness to change. I mean, have you ever thought about even just what a change it is to get people to come to church on Sundays? Like that used to just be what people did. Sunday mornings, you didn't have baseball, you didn't have stores were closed, right? And so now when we talk about coming to church, it's like, that's brunch time. You want me to go there, right? Isn't that true? And so we have to get them to open up to change. And then number four, to get them to begin to seek after God. To have this desire, man, I'm, I'm not satisfied. As great as brunch is, that does not fulfill this longing in my soul, this, this, as it's been called, an ache that I cannot shake for something more. And then ultimately bring them to the place of entering into the kingdom of God. These five steps that I believe uh, are, are true in the era that we live in. I have to say this, this is not an advertisement for Alpha, but one thing that I love about Alpha is that Alpha answers all five of those questions. Alpha, through relationships, you begin to build uh, this rapport with people that you feel like, hey, you know what, I may not believe the same thing that they do, but they're not the problem. They're actually a great person. I begin to build that, that, that uh, relationship. I be begin to become curious, b -b -b begin to become curious become curious about faith. I begin to hear that there is a reason to the Bible. There's questions that can be answered. I begin to open up to change. I begin to experience, even through eating and sitting around the table with people, I begin to experience this little bit of heaven on earth. This little place where although we have different backgrounds, different, uh, you know, different personalities, but we all come together, and I know it's around a couple of Ikea lack tables, perhaps a lowly picture of that 
feast in the kingdom of God, but there's something that happens when you sit around with people and you begin to eat and you begin to share and you begin to open up and you begin to go, this, there's something of this that I'm longing for. There's something of this that I am longing for. And so in order to, to cross that chasm, I believe that we need to recognize the challenges in the world that we live in. Those are the challenges in, in sharing the gospel with people and sharing the good news of Jesus. Now, uh, it, so how do we respond to that? What do we do? Do we just kind of like, you know, think, well, we'll just never do it. We can't do it. I want to share with you four things that we should not do and then four things that we should do in order to respond to the culture that we're in. Four things that we should not do and four things that we need to do. And so first, four things that we shouldn't do. Number one, in response to this culture that we live in, number one, we should not commiserate. That's an error that we can fall into. Let me say it this way. And when I say commiserate, I mean uh, commiserating with with people that we are trying to, to reach. I'm not talking about compassion. I'm talking about uh, what I call, you don't want to buy a magazine syndrome. I'll explain what that means. My dad, when I was a kid, told me about a brief uh, stint that he had selling magazines. And here was his sales pitch when he opened up. He would go door to door, knocking on doors. They would open the door, he, and he would say, hello, uh, my name is Ron. You don't want to buy magazines, do you? How many of you know that he didn't sell very many magazines, right? He, he, I mean, he was just building the wall. And here's what we often do. We often do the same thing in sharing our faith. In an attempt to, to be relevant or perhaps likable, we commiserate with people to the point that we actually just join in with them in all of the doubts and all of the skepticism and all of the, the fault-finding, right? And we can end up uh, again, in an attempt to be likable, we end up just joining in with the, the place that they're at. And, and I believe that we are not called to, to commiserate. I'll, I'll tell you the solution to that in a minute. But that's an error that we can fall into. We just want to be relevant. We just want to be likable. And we end up becoming like them, right? <clears throat> the other error, uh, number two, is that we continue. These all start with C. I know it's cheesy, that also starts with a C. It's just the way I do it, all right? So we can continue, and by continuing, that would be what I would call, say it louder and slower syndrome. Have you ever seen somebody trying to communicate to somebody that speaks a different language, and they think if they just say it louder and slower that somehow the other person's going to get it? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like they still don't understand what you're saying. And that's a danger that we can fall into in our culture is that we just end up continuing the same old thing. We, we just say, you know, it worked in the 1950s, it worked in the 1980s, and my goodness, we're going to do a human video today or whatever it is, okay? Some of you are like, what's a human video? Leave it in the 80s and 90s, okay? But we just continue doing the same thing. Number three, I would call another error, the third error that we can fall into is the error of cloister. That, that just means everybody get in together and let's just kind of get this tight little huddle. And, and I would call it uh, the ignore the scoreboard syndrome. Any, anybody ever 
at a football game or a basketball game, you've seen uh, the cheerleaders of the losing team. The guys are like, cheerleaders? I've never even heard of such a thing. They have them at a game? Have you ever seen them? Yes. Have you ever noticed the cheerleaders for the, le- for the losing team? Do you know what they do? They just keep cheering. Just keep smiling and ignore the scoreboard, right? And we can do the same thing, form these little Christian cloisters where it's just everybody get in and let's just kind of, you know, let's surround ourselves with spirit, you know, with Christian culture. Let's only go to Christian conferences. Let's listen to all the Christian music. Let's watch all the YouTube Christian playlists. Let's get Christian tattoos and let's get, let's do all of this stuff. I only preset Z88.3, all of that stuff. And I'm not knocking that stuff. What I'm saying is a spiritual cloister will not change the culture that we live in. If we just move into this nice little Christian huddle, we may feel good, but we're, if we're ignoring the scoreboard, we're losing the game, okay? And so the danger is we can fall into that cloister mentality. The fourth thing is, is clear, which means we can just clear ourselves of the responsibility. It's the, it's not my problem syndrome. Not my problem. That's the pastor's problem. That's the church's problem. That's 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 my neighbor's problem. That's Alpha's problem. That's the sin's problem. It's not my problem. And we end up leaving the work of sharing the good news of Jesus to the the extroverts and the, the natural evangelists. You know, there are some people that are just natural evangelists. They're the ones that whether they know Jesus or not, when they go into a room, they're talking to everybody in that room. You know what I'm talking about? Roberto over there, if y'all know Roberto. He is that, okay? And, and that is awesome. There's some of us that way, but regardless of our personality, we are called to share the good news with the world that we live in. We cannot clear ourselves of the responsibility. And so those four problems, I believe there's four answers Four answers that we need to understand if we are going to respond properly to the culture that we live in. Number one is we need to contend. These also start with C. (laughs) We need to contend. Now, I don't mean be contentious with people, but we need to contend for the faith. Jude chapter 3 says this, contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Contend. Hold fast. Don't move on that. There's some things we should reimagine, recreate, re-envision, but there are some things that we don't re-envision. The truth of God's Word and who God is, we are called to contend for it. We are called to hold fast to it. And let me tell you this, that when we do, history is on our side. If you know the history of the 1800s, after uh, the, the late 1800s, there was the rise of liberalism, which began to say, well, the Bible is not actually God's word. It's just a nice story that has good values that come out of it. And the church was split in liberalism and conservatism, not, not politically, but theologically. And, and here's what I want you to know. Without naming the names of the groups that went with the liberal route, If you drive around the city today, the buildings that are empty in our culture today are the buildings of the churches that went with liberalism. They said, we need to 
We need to update the message in order to fit the changing times. We can't really say that Jesus is the only way. That's so exclusive. It would be like a doctor saying, well, I'm not going to tell you the cure because you do you. Right? I don't want to impose on you. And here's what I want you to understand is everybody is preaching a gospel. It may be the gospel of sexuality. If you just fulfill your sexual desires, you will experience the, 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 the fullness of life. It may be the gospel of success. If you just make more money, then you will be happy. It may be the gospel of self in any number of formats. You just do you, but everybody is preaching a gospel. And so the question is not, will we preach? The, 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 the question is, will we share a story that has the power to transform a man or a woman, a boy or a girl's life. And we are called to contend to hold fast to the good news of Jesus Christ. When we do, history is on our side. Not only do we need to contend, but we also need to compel. We need to compel. Or, or we could say it this way. We need to live in a way that is compelling. In a way that is attractive. There's a, a verse in the Bible, I can't remember where it is, but it says this, that we are to beautify the gospel. We are to present it in a way that it is, it is it's beautiful. If you talk to a jeweler or any of you that have ever done engagement ring shopping, you know that it's not just important to have the right stone, it's important to have the right setting to show off the stone, right? All the married men said, been there, done that, Right? And the same is true when it comes to the good news of Jesus, that we are to live, as it's been said, we are to live in a way that makes people ask the question, why? Why do you do family different than the rest of the world? Why are you not stressed out? Let me tell you, if you can just live in a place of rest, in a place of peace, not because you're living in the middle of Tibet, Thank you. It's a pretty peaceful place. Not because you're living there. You're in the middle of the modern world. You are in the middle of, uh, of the, the grind, the hustle, but you just say, you know what? I'm living in peace in the midst of that. I want you to understand you will beautify the gospel. People, it won't be long before people will start going, coming to you and saying, what is different about you? You're, you? When I ask you about your marriage, when I ask you, uh, you know, you're not saying, we're getting by. There, you know, there's a, there's a love in that. You know, you talk, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> compelling. I love what Matthew 5.13, the message says. It says, let me tell you why you are here. This is Jesus in a paraphrase. Let me tell you why you are here in Orlando, Altamont, Maitland, College Park, Audubon Park, Soto, wherever you're out. Let me tell you why you're here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors on this earth. God flavors. I love that. I, I, I know perhaps salt is out of vogue. I don't know. Maybe pink Himalayan sea salt, okay? <laughs> but there's some things... They just need some salt. You know what I'm saying? You just, um, salted caramel, okay? Now, that's good without salt, but it just came to my mind. Caramel's good, but you put salt on it, that's caramel at a whole nother level, 
right? Any grits eaters here? Any southern grits eaters? Come on, don't be ashamed. That's right. There we are. I don't know if you know this about grits, but grits is not about the grits. It's about what you put on the grits. You know what I'm saying? Some people have had grits, and they're like, I don't like grits. I'm like, what did you put on them, grits? It's not about the grits. It's actually, grits are a vehicle, okay? It's a vehicle to get that salt and pepper and butter and cheese. Oh, come on. There you go. Some people do it sweet. That's weird. But cheese, that's awesome, okay? And so there is something that happens in the world when there are people that are followers of Jesus that live out not dogmatic, rigid religiosity, but live out a vibrant, life-giving, authentic love for Jesus in their world. I mean, studies just show that when there are followers of Jesus in a community, donations towards nonprofits and causes go up. It just becomes more generous. There's things that happen in a community through the presence of us that will not happen if we are not here. And so we are to live in a way that will compel people to ask, why do you live that way? Why do you live that way? Number three, we need to connect. We need to connect. Salt doesn't do any good in the shaker, right? It doesn't do any good in the shaker. And there's got to be proximity. It's got to get out of the shaker and onto the grits, right? It, there's got to be proximity. And the same is true for us as followers of Jesus. Our maximum place of impact, as good as this moment feels right now, this is not our maximum place of impact. This is the shaker. I, I love my grandfather. His church, when I was growing up, had a sign as you left the property, and it said, you're now entering your mission field. I know that may be a little cheesy, but it is good. It is good that when we leave this place, that is as much church as this is here. And so one of the greatest things that you can do to share in word and action the truth and the good news of Jesus Christ is just be friendly to people. Just be friendly, loving people. And you may say, well, I'm an introvert. Well, be a friendly introvert. Just because extroverts, if they're, if they're not loving, they're just publicly mean, okay? Right? So it's not about introvert or extrovert. It's about the love I have in my heart. That I take time to notice people, that I take time to connect with people, not because I'm pushing an agenda, but they are made in the image of God and they matter to God. And so we, if we are follower, if we are, if we are responding to the culture, we cannot respond in cloistering together. We've got to respond in connecting with the world around us. And number four, so worship team, you guys can come back up. Number four, not only do we need to contend, compel, and connect, but number four, we need to carry. Carry. Not clear ourselves of the problem, but we need to carry the responsibility. We need to carry the responsibility. I want you to understand this. Billy Graham is not God's answer for Orlando. I, as, as much admiration as I have for Orlando, or for Orlando and Billy Graham. Billy Graham is not God's answer for Orlando. Reinhard Bonnke, I love him. Maybe you know who he is. Amazing. He's not God's answer for the, the future, I believe, of Orlando. Do you know who the answer is? 
And it's not even some other big name preacher or anybody else. Do you know who God's answer for Orlando? It's you. You are the answer. We are the answer. So we need to carry our neighbors in our heart. We need to carry the responsibility for our workplace. We need to carry, and not only carry the responsibility, but we also need to carry the power of the Holy Spirit. Carry this this God spark on the inside of you. That everywhere you go, listen to this, everywhere you go, anything can happen because God is where you are. When you go to a place, God is in that place because God is in you. The Bible says Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so we need to carry that that life of God everywhere we go. Not clear ourselves of the responsibility. In closing, I want to ask this, and we're going to sing a song in just a moment. I want to ask this question as we close. And here's the question. I showed you a picture visually of what our culture is like, and we probably all know, and let me just ask you this, did that ring true of the the culture that we're in today? Does that ring true? So here's what I want to ask you in closing. What if the spiritual dryness of the world that we live in is not because we live in a desert? What if the spiritual dryness in our community today is because like the, the beach, when the tide has gone out and when the waves are building, what if the dryness that we experience in our culture today is because there is a wave of God that is building beyond the horizon? What if there is a, a wave of God's love, a wave of God's glory, a wave of God's goodness that, that if we could see in the Spirit, it would be just beyond the horizon? What if we're not in a desert? What if it's a beach and the wave is building? Will we be in the right place at the right time? Will we recognize that God's mission doesn't happen in a vacuum? It happens in a people and in a place who will say, God, if you need a person in this place, in this time, I'm that man, I'm that woman. Surfers can attest to this. Adam, you could attest to this, that a lot of surfing, catching the waves, is a lot of waiting, right? It's a lot of waiting. It's a lot of getting in position so that at the right time and at the right place, when that next set begins to come, that you're not out on the beach but you're in the right place and you're in the right time and you've been paddling and maybe it feels like you're paddling against the current. Maybe it feels like spiritually it's becoming harder and harder to move forward, harder and harder to share our faith. But maybe it's because the the greatest wave of God, the greatest move of God is getting ready to unleash upon our community, upon our nation, upon our world. Would you stand to your feet? Just to close your eyes.